0: This is Wayne Jernell, Editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy.
1: You're listening to Visions of
2: Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap
2: between educators in the K through 12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus.
1: So I spend a lot of time at the playground. It's very exciting. After I pick Violet up from daycare, we head on over to the playground. And it's great, and it scares me. She's, you know, under two. And one day, like, she saw these kids swinging over the slide. They have a little bar over their slide and i was like oh my god baby you can't you can't do this you can't do this and then guess what she started doing she did it oh god yeah and she loves it <laughs> and she like you know she climbs on these things and then she goes over to the 3 to 5 no it's not even that it's like 4 to 6 there's two playgrounds and then she climbs on it it's even taller and i get so nervous and i don't want to like i don't want her to know that i'm scared Because if she wants to do it, I want, you know, her to be able to do it. And so I'm like hovering behind her, trying to do it in such a way where, you know, she is safe, but she doesn't really know that I'm there. So she's still kind of like gaining confidence because I want her to take these risks. Right. But it scares the heck out of me every single time, every single time those older kids.
2: So I'm I'm not a, a parent, but right now we're in Los Angeles. And um, yesterday I had a solid three hours with my niece and nephew who oh, are fine. one and five. And I'm just not a veteran. And I was I'm terrified to even let the one year old like walk around like for more than three feet away from me. So she had these little trousers on. So I literally like walked around with like my fingers kind of under her trousers and just walked behind her because I did not want her to get like an injury on my watch.
1: Right, right. And
2: so I, like, allowed her to take almost no risks. I don't know. I guess, or I just was, like, the safety. I was, like, the safety thing. But the thing is, is that I I don't know if I, you know, she probably would have been fine if she explored a little. Yeah. But in my mind, she was going to hit her head on something. It's so
1: scary. Like, you get so scared. And, like, you know, I I look at the playground. I'm like, okay, the the ground is very soft. And there's a lot of other kids, some of them who look kind of (laughs) around her age, and they're able to do it. Or she can do something like this. Like, she can't do it. But, yeah, no, it, it takes a lot to kind of, like, make yourself feel better to let your kid take risks. And it really makes you think a lot about, like, risks that you've taken in your own life. Yeah. Like, I remember doing whitewater rafting. Like, I was so scared, like, some of these rapids were doing. And I'm like, okay, I'm with a good guide. The worst case, okay, the, the worst case is really bad.
2: <laughs> but Worst case is bad. So wait, hold on. I've got I've got not the worst case, but a bad case. Okay, so that's a good. You brought up whitewater rafting. So, you know, part of taking risks is if it goes really bad, you can shut down. So I don't think I'm ever going whitewater rafting again. So yeah. I went last summer for my birthday uh, in Oklahoma City. They have like a, a really great man made course, but you know, we went as a group, as a group, me and my wife and two of our friends, and we went and we turned over it, and like one of our friends went down and she was very, like, unnerved by the whole situation. Um, we all went in the water. And, you know, it's, like, it's real rapids. Like, yeah, it's yeah. very intense rapids. And we went through, in, like, the end of it. And so my my wife and my, my friend's wife, they both decided not to do it again. Me and my friends decided to do it again. Well, the next time, we went down right at the beginning. And so I went through the entire rapids without a raft and literally got dragged along the bottom. I couldn't hear out of one of my ears for a month, yeah. and I had pulled all the skin off of my knee completely. Oh, man. Um, and so it was, like, very traumatic. And so that's an example of risk-taking gone wrong. Right. Because, like, now, you know, I mean, if you go too far or you're not in a place that's that challenges you but isn't comfortable, like, I guess I'm going to just say this. I don't think I had a very good guide. I think he was a little reckless yeah. in how he allowed the right. whitewater athlete yeah, yeah. to advance. And we flipped. And so I think that that's a metaphor for – you know, can be a metaphor in education, right? Like if you let it go too reckless, people will shut down. And we see that even in like political discussions, right? Like I know I went through a phase like when Facebook was so toxic that I like shut down. I was like, okay, I don't want to talk politics right now.
1: That, that's interesting. I feel like today, with the today's blue climate, that everything is so charged, that everything seems particularly in modern society, everything seems so like hopped up, like so amped up that it's easy to simply just not do it, to just put right. your hands up and say, you know what, I'm out. We're not going to talk about this. But I feel like we need to talk about ways in which people are supported in ways in which that they can bring in, discuss controversial topics within uh, their classrooms.
2: So it's. I think we need somebody who's done some research on this to give us some... Um advice and tips and walk us through their journey and learning how we do this and so we've got somebody.
1: What (laughs) I know we said we wouldn't do I know.
2: I know we're gonna have to quit quit the corny intros, right? Um with the mysterious person here. I don't know.
1: So who's with us?
2: (laughs) So we have today with us we'd like to welcome into the podcast Dr. Judy Pace. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Great to be here. It's
1: great to have you here
0: got a terrific ho- podcast i'm really excited to be on it and that was a really fascinating introduction
1: <laughs> oh yeah playground is a uh, frightening place lots of risk taking there
0: absolutely
2: <laughs> and even political dialogue among you know 3 and 4 year olds know <laughs> maybe maybe unfair. like the the the, pol- the politics of like the slide right
1: there occasionally is some politics in the slide we're not going to get into this but i have seen many a parents get into an argument Oh, yeah. Nothing.
2: That parents can be a problem. But also, yeah, there actually is kids like and also trying to control parts of like the playground. This is my slide or this is my part. They can come up. Dr. Pace, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education?
0: Sure. So my mom was an elementary school teacher for 25 years, but I actually had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, I studied psychology and then art history, and I serendipitously got a summer job working in a school for kids with special needs. This was up in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I fell in love with the kids and decided to pursue a career in special education. And then I had the opportunity to teach in a progressive school when I was a student teacher. And so I had this dream of one day ending up in a progressive school, and I did. I taught in a middle school program. And that was actually the beginning of my interest in democratic education because I inherited a somewhat democratic classroom. Um, and then several years later, I went back to graduate school with all these questions about student engagement and educational inequality and democracy education. So I went to the Harvard Ed School and just for a year, and I ended up working at Project Zero on all these fascinating school reform efforts. And then I decided to go back for my doctorate and realized that I wanted to be a professor of education. And so I came out to the University of San Francisco. And I've been here for 20 years.
1: I live right next to Waltham, Massachusetts and I'm, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I one time went to San Francisco, but I did not have rice to <laughs> <or> Me <Roni. laughs>
0: neither. Yeah, I noticed that you're in Massachusetts. That's cool.
2: San Francisco is actually giving me a little bit anxiety today because we're actually recording this on the day that the AERA, American Education Research Association, submissions are due for the conference in San Francisco. So sorry, my heart went up a little bit, but I do like San Francisco a lot, despite what the tech bros have done to the city a little bit.
0: Uh, It has changed so much. So
2: much, yes, yes. So the reason we're having you on today is that you published a new article in Theory and Research in Social Education, which is no easy feat. Congratulations. Thank you. And so the, the article is titled Contained Risk-Taking, Preparing Pre-Service Teachers to Teach Controversial Issues in Three Countries. Can you tell us about the study?
0: Sure. So, the study actually grew out of a book that I published in 2015 called The Charge: Classroom, Predicaments and Possibilities for Democratic Teaching. And the last chapter of the book, of course, makes recommendations like all final chapters do. And I focused on how teacher education should prepare pre-service teachers to engage in democratic teaching in the CHARGE classroom, meeting classrooms that are charged with both possibilities and tensions for doing this work because I'm really interested in sort of the gap between all these educational ideals that we have and the realities of classrooms and schools. And so I propose that we do a better job in teacher education of making sure that pre-service teachers learn to do things like teach controversial issues in the CHARGE classroom. And then I realized that there's not much written about this at all. We don't really know about what teacher educators are doing or if they're doing anything. So I decided that my next research project would focus on that topic. And I had a sabbatical in 2016 and 17, and I had always had this dream of doing international research. And I also knew from reading the literature that Teaching controversial issues is shaped a lot by socio-political contexts and cultural contexts. So I thought it would be really interesting to see what teacher educators in different national contexts were doing to prepare teachers for this work. And I was really fortunate. I got the help of some colleagues who had contacts all around the world. And I ended up recruiting um, two teacher educators in Northern Ireland, which is a really fascinating context because it's still a divided society, and one in England and another one in the Midwest. So I actually spent a bunch of time in each of those locations. And so I lived in the UK for eight weeks in the fall, and then I went back for five weeks in the winter. Um, and then I was in the Midwest for about a month in early spring and went back for another couple of weeks in late spring. And while I was in these locations, I observed teacher education courses, methods courses basically, and I interviewed um, the teacher educators that I was observing and, you know, four or five pre-service teachers from these courses. And I followed them over the course of a year, basically, to find out what was happening in the classes to prepare them to teach controversial issues and then how these pre-service teachers responded to what they learned in their student teaching. And then I did an iterative process of collecting data and analyzing the data over that year, actually a year and a half, and then I came up with this idea. So I have always been interested in the complexity of classroom dynamics and how teachers navigate those. And I was really curious about how teacher educators were preparing their students to deal with the risks, as you spoke about, of teaching controversial issues, because we know that there are many risks, and this is something that's been documented in scholarship, and we know it from our own experience. And so sure enough, I realized when I went over my data many, many times that all of the teacher educators did address various risks that go along with teaching controversial issues, three of them explicitly and one of them implicitly. So I came up with this theory about contained risk taking, and I noticed that not only did they teach strategies for their pre-service teachers to contain the risks, but they also practice contained risk taking in their own classes. So that was really interesting to me. Could you give us just a
1: a definition of contained risk taking and maybe what it would look like, how they they use that within their context?
0: Sure. So, you know, to varying extents, they gave the pre-service teachers an opportunity to talk about their anxieties about teaching controversial issues. And then they offered them strategies for dealing with these anxieties. So, you know, A big risk is losing control of the class, and along with that, students the possibility that students are going to use inflammatory speech, that they're going to say things that are going to be offensive to other students and even make other students feel unsafe. So some of the strategies that they offered were, I mean, this one is pretty basic and common knowledge, but being sure to build a a classroom climate where people felt comfortable to talk but also protected in some way by classroom norms. Another was really thorough preparation for lessons that focused on controversial issues and even anticipating what might come up. And some of these things have been written about, like Diana Hess and Paula McAvoy write about some of these things in their book, The Political Classroom. But then another was um, how teachers would select controversial issues that they would focus on with their students and also how they would frame them. So one of my teacher educators in Northern Ireland insisted on framing controversial issues in public rather than personal terms. So rather than, you know, I think she joked about how common it was for teachers to kind of open up the question to their students. What's your opinion about abortion? Right. Well, that would be something that would be so incredibly charged in Northern Ireland abortion is illegal, <laughs> and it's such a religious country. So rather than doing it that way, she would say that they, should, that they should frame the question in public terms and ask them, what are the various opinions out there in this society about abortion? And the conversation would stay at that public level. She was really interested in them developing political awareness and knowledge, not so much about divulging their own opinions. As a matter of fact, she thought, that if students were asked to expose themselves in that way, it would be unsafe, and she really prioritized safety.
2: It, well, that's really fascinating because I kind of, I guess I would say serendipitously, have come across that a little bit in my own preparation of pre-service teachers in that um I often use Costas, three levels of questioning when we use documents and other things like that. And and the first level is really focusing on what the documents say, right? Like what the author said in it. So it's like uncovering like what does this text say? What is this painting? What's in this painting, right? It's very direct. And then the second level you get to like kind of more author interpretation. And the third level is you know more about like, so why does this matter? What are the applications? I often talk to my students about like I'm really most concerned about the first level and the second level because everyone can give an opinion. And I hear a lot of bad opinions given all the time by people who have not like taken time to study it and don't aren't interested in learning more or aren't interested in using evidence. And so I've become increasingly just more interested in the evidence. But then I the one thing I doubt myself on is I'm like if they don't have a chance to give their opinions, then are they prepared when they are ready to have evidence-based opinions for engaging in those discussions? How how do you negotiate that and how did you see these other teacher educators in your study navigate that?
0: So this particular teacher educator did say that teachers should give their students a chance to self-position at the end. That was the term that was used. And if You know, as far as what I heard from her pre-service teachers after they did their student teaching, they really tried to do that. But oftentimes it would be private self-positioning rather than public self-positioning. And if it was public, then it was usually about something that was less personal. Do you know what I mean? So it was less risky. But I did notice that in the States, there was more of an emphasis on making sure that there was time for students to... Take positions and defend their opinions. And I got into a conversation with one of the pre-service teachers that um, I interviewed in the Midwest about this issue because I had just come from Northern Ireland and kind of shared with him what I had learned from her. And he really disagreed with that. He, you know, basically said it's so important for students to learn how to argue about their positions and formulate their opinions. So I that was that was a difference that I thought was really interesting. Another difference was in Northern Ireland and England, there was much more emphasis, and this was another strategy that they taught to contain risk, a much more emphasis on small group activities using creative resources rather than whole group discussion. So again, um, I queried my teacher educators about this. And one of them said that whole group discussion wasn't really part of the pedagogical tradition, that there would be what he called a plenary at the end of the lesson, kind of like a debrief to allow students to talk in that, in that context, but m- more, much more emphasis on small group activities. He said that he would never demand that students participate in discussion because, again, if people weren't comfortable sharing, then that was their right to not share. Um, The other teacher educator in Northern Ireland actually said that whole group discussion, she thought, was the worst pedagogy to use because Mm -hmm. it was hard to manage. And again, the risk of exposure was too great in a divided society. So that was really interesting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting because I've always thought that you have to do some whole group discussion. Like it's just going to happen in a classroom. Right. But I guess you don't have to do it on the controversial issues. But, you know, there's it's it's interesting because I I also don't I think one thing that from the research I've looked at and from already what you're sharing with us is that there's probably not one way to do any of this. Right. Teachers can probably come up with different methods that work for their context and with their students that, you know, other teachers may not feel comfortable with or may not want to do. And I just think about like even the like you were saying the ways discussions are framed are so important, right? That it's not just what do you think about abortion, but I know the suggestion. Um, I I think it's in Paula McAvoy and Diana's book. One of their suggestions is to change the question to what is the like best abortion policy for us as, for all members of society, right? So like asking them to consider different points of view potentially in their answer. So now it's not just my opinion, but like thinking in a more that public way that you're speaking to is like, how do we make decisions together? Even if you disagree with someone, what would be best for them and you and uh, and people not in this room? And that's a challenge. It's a challenge to kind of do that, but maybe that goes back to the norms and really building that over time that, that you have an agreement about what you're, the types of discussions you're having.
1: It makes you think about like, Eating a Reese's, there's not one way to eat a Reese's. There's uh, many different ways to do it, right? And so when talking about controversial issues, there are many different ways to do it, and you're examining some different ones. I really do enjoy a good Reese's peanut butter cup, but not too many.
0: Me too. Yeah, just a couple of things about that. I mean, again, I think it depends on how you frame the issue as to the kinds of responses that you get. Um, But the other thing is that I noticed when I was – When I decided to do international research, I started reading international scholarship on teaching controversial issues, because before that, I had really been focused on U.S. scholarship, and it really made me realize how, I guess, ethnocentric we can be in what we read, you know? Yeah. So as I was reading, I actually changed my proposal to preparing teachers to discuss controversial issues to preparing teachers to teach controversial issues because I learned just from reading the scholarship that yeah in in, uh, in some contexts discussion is not the primary form of pedagogy
2: so that well, pedagogy can you can you explain that so does that mean that it's far more important to teach about the issue than for us ever to discuss it right you're spending time learning about it but the actual discussion isn't always the the most important part is that kind of what you mean
0: well, you know, it's interesting because that gets kind of tricky because I would say that in the context where I studied this, there was a big emphasis on making sure that students were well informed about the issues before they deliberated. And I'm not I don't I'm not saying that that's not the case in the US but maybe there was a different emphasis in terms of how much time was spent on what activity learning about versus deliberating on. You know what I mean? So, but that raises the question of, you know, we know from research that student discussion is so limited in so many classrooms because teachers don't allow it enough time, right? I mean, teachers tend to be more teacher-directed than they are student-centered, and even discussions tend to be teacher-led rather than student-led. So I did notice when my pre-service teachers reported back to me about what they had tried in their student teaching placements, that in a lot of cases they had trouble pulling back and allowing enough time for their students to do the deliberation rather than continuing to present knowledge albeit creatively. You know, they had these wonderful PowerPoints and they were using all these resources and giving them all these different materials and texts to examine, but they had a tough time pulling back and allowing for open discussion to happen. So it continues to be a tension for me in thinking about, I don't think there's one right way to do it, just like you were saying, but there are actual differences that I think are really interesting. And I actually think it would really benefit scholars to talk across those differences. The one pedagogical approach that I think sort of cuts across that problem is the structured academic controversy. And that was something that two of my teacher educators taught explicitly in their classes. Because you're putting students into small groups, but they are doing the talking. The teacher is out of it. So that really puts the emphasis on student deliberation. For people
2: who don't know, could you explain briefly what a structured academic controversy looks like?
0: Sure. So, students are grouped in fours, and then that group of four is split into pairs. And they are arguing different sides of a question. They read texts that represent each side of the argument. They identify the main arguments that they want to present from those texts, and then they flip it. So they take the other side and present the strong arguments to one another. And then there's time at the end for them to discuss their own views based on what they've read and heard from each other.
1: That That's interesting. We had uh, in our episode 100, Genevieve Caffrey talk about her Let's Act framework, And one of those things, uh, one of the steps was to look at all the, or many different uh, spectrum of people's positions on a topic. And so this way you're looking at other people's arguments, but not really bringing your own into it. You're just kind of examining how these things kind of fit into each other. That was just one step. She had multiple steps to it, but that was uh, episode 100 with Genevieve Caffrey, friend of the pod, super friend.
2: And if I can give a shout out, our editor, Zach Seitz, uh, actually published an article in social education that was a structured academic controversy on voter id laws and that was published recently so if anyone wants that you, we can get you a link to that and it's a, it has a lot of sources that you work through different legal opinions and political opinions and things and you work through and try to make sense of you know are voter id laws democratic generally the answer is no <laughs> but the kids can figure that out figure out like using the sources like the nuances of those arguments so yeah, I've, I've found those those types of discussions to be really powerful because I like what you said, that the students have to do a lot of the intellectual work. And I, I think I've seen teachers who oftentimes even try to do controversial issues in their classroom and they continue to do the intellectual work because, again, it feels safer. And the fear of letting go and leaving it up to students, because once they go into their small groups, you don't know what they're saying.
0: That's true. But I think as far as classroom management goes, especially for beginning teachers who are concerned about that, and even experienced teachers who haven't taught controversial issues before, structured academic controversy, I think, is a good pedagogy to contain the risks that many teachers worry about. And actually, I learned more about that from reading about the Deliberating in a Democracy Project, which was this international professional development project and teachers learned how to do structured academic controversies or sacs in a bunch of different countries and they reported that they experienced a lot of success and their students really enjoyed it so i, I think it's a really great way to start off
1: i wonder if they would say that they feed, they got a lot of success with <laughs> like just changing it to an A. So this way, it just, it's all in there. Yeah, I apologize.
2: (laughs) Very nice, Michael. Um, Dr. Pace, can you, so I I love, I think this is incredible research and, and really timely for a lot of educators who want to do this work better. So we've mentioned a lot of things. Could you kind of walk us through as we, as we finish up some of your advice you have for teacher educators and teachers in the classroom
0: Well, I'm hoping that the idea of contained risk-taking is really helpful to people and encourages both teacher educators and teachers to engage with teaching controversial issues, knowing that it doesn't have to be as anxiety-provoking as they may fear. But I think for teacher educators, it's really important to give their pre-service teachers an opportunity to vent about their anxieties, before they get started on this endeavor and to really make a direct connection between the anxieties that are presented and the strategies that they offer for dealing with them. So, you know, I think the strategies that I outline in my article are actually really really helpful. And then I would also say that as far as the approaches that the teacher educators use to teach about all of this, you know, modeling was the number one approach that the pre-service teachers appreciated the most. So, you know, demonstrating um, how to do this work is super important, and both Diana Hess and Walter Parker have written essays about how they did this in their own teacher ed courses, so those are really helpful to read too. But then, along with modeling, they offered really practical tools You know, that's what we hear from our pre-service teachers is that they want practical tools. So these were things that they could actually implement in their own classrooms once they got to student teaching. Along with those practical tools and the modeling, it was really important, I think, to to debrief with the pre-service teachers about um, what worked and what didn't and how they would adapt these practices to their own classroom, what questions they had about them. Um, And I think, you know, going back to the charge classroom, it's really important to prepare pre-service teachers for the challenges and the tensions that they're going to experience. And one of the biggest challenges that I heard about after the student teaching placements happened was time. You know, they were really squeezed for time. Actually, in Northern Ireland, many classes are only 35 minutes long. It is super hard to do it. on a controversial issue in that amount of time. So I think just kind of reassuring them that, you know, the constraints are real and that it's not their fault and helping them kind of figure out how to navigate those constraints is really important. And that was something else that um, my pre-service teachers reported back to me. Haven't written that article yet, but I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) One of my teacher educators, the one in the Midwest, gave her student teachers an opportunity to practice facilitating discussion of controversial issues. And that was something that unfortunately there wasn't time to do in the other methods courses in England and Northern Ireland, but the the pre-service teachers in the U.S. Really appreciated the opportunity to do that, even though it was just with your peers. And it's really different when you're in your own classroom. It still, I think, boosted their confidence. That's great.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I think any type of of, of leading a discussion and being able to lead an activity, um, even if it's with your college peers, is gives you a sense of some things that are still very useful, even if they're a very different context from. The classroom you'll go teach and practice is good even if it's it's simulated
0: yeah absolutely
1: so sadly like a crocodile who swallowed a clock our time is running to an end <laughs> <laughs> that's a captain hook reference um uh, dr pace thank you so much for chatting with us today
0: you're so welcome thanks for having me on i really enjoyed it
1: and we enjoyed
2: you and where can our listeners find you and your work online? Because we know you're working on a new book on these topics, right? And where can we continue to find all of the great work of Dr. Judy Pace?
0: So I will send you a link to my webpage at USF. I'm on Facebook, but not an active user. So probably Me too. <laughs> the webpage would be the best bet. Nice. What research
1: are you currently doing?
0: So I am continuing to write about this work. There's really a lot more to say. I'm writing a book. It's called Hard Questions, Learning to Teach Controversial Issues, and it should be coming out next spring. Roman and Littlefield is the publisher. I've got a deadline, so I'm working hard on that. And I'm also beginning to write another article that focuses on the experience of the pre-service teacher educators and how they tried to take up what they learned about teaching controversial issues in their student teaching field placements. Excellent.
2: Yeah, that sounds incredible. And you write books, you know, a lot more efficiently than I'm able to even get through, you know, Netflix shows. So that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) So... Thank you again for joining us today. And thank you for such incredible work on such important topics in the field. And we certainly will continue to share out your resources when your new book is, is up. We will link it, add it to the show notes, and we're happy to tweet it out. And we hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
0: Me too. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. All right. So at the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative education, or you just want to chat about controversial issues, In your success story, sorry, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and, again, in that mystery spot. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you want us to be.
2: You know what's not controversial? leaving us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the air, and it helps people find this podcast. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka.
1: And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until
2: next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast.
1: Signing off.